Welcome to the East Memorial Ministries podcast. This podcast is the central hub for all audio publications of East Memorial Baptist Church out of Prattville, Alabama. So grab a pen, paper, and your copy of God's Word, and let's study God's truth together. Let's open up 2 Thessalonians. We're kind of nearing the end here. I'm sure you've seen that. In fact, we are. Next week, we'll be kind of summarizing um, all that we have kind of talked about. That's a lot. <laughs> um, and ending Thessalonians. And then the next two Sundays, the 5th and the 12th, we will be doing more of a Christmas, Christmas lessons because we don't have it the last two Sundays of um, December. We will not have fellowship groups. So in January, we'll start a whole new study and um, talk to you about that probably more next week. Um, but uh, we're going to be finishing up Thessalonians today and tomorrow. I mean, next Sunday. So if you'll look with me, last week we, we started in chapter 3 and um, kind of just touched base on 5. And we started in verse 6 and then kind of breezed through very, very quickly 11 and 12. The, the, the goal was to, for, that, for the two weeks to cover 6 through 15. So we're doing that. But I want to kind of back up just a touch. So if you'll look with me back at verse 6, we're going to read down through verse 15 again. Chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, such persons, persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person. And do not associate with him, so that he will be put to shame. Yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Okay, and that last verse is key. And we need to keep that in our front of our thinking as we think of putting out or admonishing a brother or sister. There's a chunk of scripture here in the middle of this where he's talking about the unruly life, the undisciplined life, where he gives a little bit of explanation of um, what he's talking about. Now, there's obviously undisciplined, unruly lives or any lives lived in accordance to sin, um, bound by sin. Um, and so those are and will fall under the guides of church discipline. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But um, this unruly, undisciplined life in specifics, as he mentions, is the ones who are not working but are basically um, acting lazy and acting as busybodies, he says. They're feeding off of the flock in an unruly manner, an undisciplined manner. And we've all um, 
hope maybe at times we've been that person, hopefully not, but we've all known people like that. And I, I always think about one of my roommates in college. Um, I, I love him dearly, and he's still this way, but I don't, it's just the way he was raised. But um, kind of always raised to be a moocher, you know, a little bit. You've, you've all experienced mooching, right? And um, this individual, it became a joke because he was the best event planner you could imagine. He always had great ideas. And so we lived in Dayton. And if you've never been to Dayton, Tennessee, I know fishermen have. There's really nothing there. This quaint little town. But if you're wanting to, like, go somewhere and do something, Chattanooga is the best option. Um, and so we would go to Chattanooga's at night on the weekends uh, downtown and walk the walking bridge down there and eat it, you know, Italian restaurant, which I can't think of the name of it now, and then go to the coffee shop, Rembrandt's. That was one of my favorites. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, and that was just our kind of weekend special. Sometimes we'd go to Hickson or Cleveland or something like that. But that was kind of what we did. Well, my roommate was very good at planning a whole, like, Friday evening for us. And we, he'd get everybody signed up. I mean, we're all going. We had people driving. And then at the last minute, oh, I don't think I'm going to go. This happened a couple of times. And it's like, what do you mean you're not going to go? You planned this thing. Well, I just don't really have the money for it. You know, it's, I, I, probably, I probably should save my money. And Well, what do you think we're going to do at that point? I mean, come, no, come, we're going to, come on, we'll cover you. Well, that happened the first few times. I didn't really know no red flags, right? But then it started to be, or he'd go with us and then he wouldn't eat. Um, or, you know, just, I, just I, reluctant to do because of money. And it, was, it started to get annoying to me. Now, I was his roommate. So I think some people thought that I was being a little ungenerous. But I was like to the point where I'm not giving him anything. <laughs> because I know that he has a lot of plenty of money and he's just mooching off everybody. So, um, unfortunately, this roommate of mine also grew up in ministry. And so... It was kind of a mindset that had been established within his family because the minister's family was always kind of given to. And it was just that, you know, speak in spiritual terms. You know, God told me, um, and I'm, let me pray about it, kind of mentality where you're not really being spiritual, but you're just throwing terms out like that so people can help you and support you. I hate to say it like that, but there are people like that. And Paul is admonishing those people right here. He says, don't be those people. For the sake of the gospel and for the, un, for the lost people, don't be those who are not working and yet mooching off of everybody. Don't be busybodies. He talks about, uh, well, we talked about last week in Timothy, the widows who he encourages to get married. Timothy does. Um, young widows so that they don't go from house to house and making their business everybody else's and trying to, you know, stir up trouble. Uh, get busy. <laughs> Stay active. And last week I mentioned people who retire you know, we retire. People retire now at 65. They try push it to 68, maybe to get more retirement. Um, but people are a little younger today than they used to. I mean, my grandma was old when she was 40, it seemed like. You know, she had the white curly beehive hair, and um, she was retired, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, now grandmas look like they're 35, and they're still working, and um, some are, yeah. And the problem with retirement when it comes to spiritual things is it's not there it's not biblical and so retirement has no place with the christian and that's why brother glenn encourages the senior adults to stay active um just because you're retired um in the workforce doesn't mean you're retired for the lord there's still a lot of work to be done there's a lot of breath to be had all that was kind of mentioned last week now that was extra 
okay? But it's, it goes along with what Paul is speaking here. Keep busy. The idle mind is a devil's workshop. We know that phrase, and it's true. Stay busy. Keep working. Now, what I want to pick up is verse 11. We kind of breezed through this in last week. But in verse 11, he says, or I'm sorry, verse 12, he says, Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. And then I took you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. So he mentions this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, where he says, And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. So this is kind of repeating verse 12 of chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. And then verse 12 of chapter um, 4, 1 Thessalonians says, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Again, there's this gospel focus that he's called us to and he's admonishing in. He says, lead a quiet life, attend to your own business, work with your hands, and in verse 12, so that you will behave properly towards outsiders. I think that's a great point that Paul brings up, and it's good for us to go back and look at it again, because when the world is looking at us, we shouldn't be the sloths. We shouldn't be the lazy. In the workplaces, as we obey our employers, no matter if they're godly men or women or not, we should be the ones that outsiders can look at and say, they're, they're really hard workers. They're, they're really good at keeping to their own business. They're not the ones walking around and slapping people around and trying to get them to do what they think is best. All of this is in the guidelines of the Christian standard, the Christian living category. So living a quiet life, again, like I mentioned last week, it's, it's being content with being unknown. And, and some people are going to be pushed to the forefront because they deserve to be so. And some people really want to be in the limelight, and maybe they don't need to be so, right? I, I joke, and if anybody's in here has ever asked me in the choir to sing a solo, please don't take this the wrong way. Um, but I, I joke with Linda because when I first got here and took over from Michael Evans, there was like an audition process in place um, for solos. I could not stand that. Um, now, I get it. There are times, and I remember when Josh Tobias auditioned. I didn't know that boy could sing. By the way, Josh Tobias can sing. Um, and, and he came and he sang. And we were all like, oh my goodness, Josh. And I would have never known that, you know, if there wasn't an audition. But it was super awkward because, I'm just going to tell you, the ones that should have been singing, they didn't audition. And maybe it was a little bit of like, well, he knows how to sing. I'm not going in there. And the ones, for the most part, that were auditioning, it was, it, was, it was hard. Now, not everybody. Like I said, there was some golden nuggets in there. But it made it really awkward for me, all right, year after year, year after year, to have to be the negative, you know, to say, I'm sorry, you didn't make it. And then to have to explain. I even had somebody ring my doorbell <laughs> uh, one night after Wednesday night. Um, it was like 10 o'clock and I went to the door and it was an individual that just wanted to know why. And I was like, oh Lord, <laughs> I'm not prepared for this. Um, this isn't even spiritual advisement. This is a talent-based thing. I don't like this, you know, and um, awkward. I say all that to say is sometimes the ones who really want to be in the limelight shouldn't be. Um, and the ones who need to be, they are going to be elevated by the body of Christ because they're recognized as being a person that needs to be. 
I think of John MacArthur. If you know his story, he went to a, what used to be a Methodist church. Grace Community Church wasn't even, they're not Baptist now, but they were Methodist before he got there. By the time he was there, it was a community church, but it was Methodist in roots. And uh, it's interesting to hear them talk about when he came because he was, uh, he was mostly uh, a youth speaker at that point. So he had a lot of fire in his bones and, um, and, he, and he did a lot of youth rallies and retreats. Well, he came to the church and, uh, because he had been there a couple times before, but this time it was in view of a call um, for the pastorate. And I think it was probably, I don't know, two or 300 members. Uh, he talked about that where, where their Sunday school classes met were in chicken coops outside. So they had this chapel building, and then there was like chicken coops where the Sunday school classes met um, for uh, fellowship groups. And, um, but he came, and I think his message, the very first time he preached there officially in view of a call, was like, it was definitely over an hour, um, maybe even more like an hour and 15 minutes. And he went and sat down, and his wife said, well, you just ruined your chances of being pastor here. Um, he's like, well, I didn't, that clock wasn't working in the back. Well, he said uh, they actually called him back, and they wanted his preaching. They said, we really want a preacher like you uh, to come and to, to preach the word of God to us. And I think there was a little bit of a comment made, like, maybe not quite as long, but definitely preacher. He said he got there the next Sunday or whenever it was that they called him back, and he said there was this gigantic clock on the back of the wall. <laughs> and, uh, but um, but he, he went there to a small little church, and it was, I mean, never would have dreamed. And it wasn't even his dream to be heard on the radio station. But he had this man that was a tape. Record, I mean, he liked to, you know, uh, record messages on tapes. And he just felt like it was his ministry to be able to tape and record John MacArthur. I think it even started on eight tracks and then it went to cassette tapes and send those to the shut-ins at their church. Well, John was like, well, yeah, yeah, do that. That'd be great. Um, and so, again, there was like a reminder that if people feel called to a ministry, as long as it's endorsed and, and the pastor's okay with it, that doesn't have to be the pastor's responsibility. Um, and so there's a lot of times people will bring ideas to the ministers and we're just, we're like, it sounds great. We just don't have time to do it. You can do it. And they're like, oh, no, no, no I don't want to do it. I just thought you could do it. And it's like, well, <laughs> it's not going to get done. I'm sorry. It's a great idea. Um, but John said, yeah, sure, do that. Have a tape ministry. Well, that tape ministry turned into grace to you. GTY.org. If you've ever seen grace to you, all those sermons, that's what that started with. So it started with them mailing tapes to shut-ins and then it turned into, over the years, mailing tapes to anybody who wanted to subscribe to it. And they were going all over the world. And then the guy tapped into the radio station, which helped blow it up. And he, his dad had a radio broadcast in Michigan, Chicago areas, maybe in Illinois. I'm not real sure. But it was somewhere on the East Coast side. And, uh, and John's messages were being pumped through there. And so it just turned into something that John didn't have a dream for. It wasn't like he was trying to push himself. But he was a good speaker, a wonderful preacher and exhorter of the word of God. And so, yes, he has been pushed. And I believe wholeheartedly that if you agree with everything John teaches or not, he is, I, th I think he's even surpassed like Charles Spurgeon of our day. I mean, the man is just consistent and his, his messages are going to be out there forever. He is so wise in his teaching of the word of God. He never strays from the word. He teaches the word with the word. And he has been a bulwark um, when other people around him who have risen have also fallen. And so I, I believe that men like that will be 
at the forefront. But being quiet and living a quiet life is to be content. It's to be content with being unknown or unnoticed. It's to be content with just doing what's right, always being obedient. Not walking around being a busybody in people's lives, wanting to be elevated in the workplace or in wherever, but being obedient in whatever situations that faces you or comes about your way, you be obedient in that moment. And so it is, and he mentions, if there's a brother or sister in sin, living an unruly, undisciplined life, then we are to follow up with that. That's not, when he says don't be a busybody, he doesn't say shut off everything, be blinders and act like you don't see anything. Avoid all contentiousness. No, sometimes we have to be that person as being obedient to the Lord. But we're not going around rooting out people and trying to hunt out things that are going on in people's lives. That's not what we're called to do. We are called to be obedient, though, and to help uh, a brother and a sister. Now, when he continues through this, I want you to flip over to Romans chapter 12 because I think it's important for us to see another version of his writing in this because I think it's important for us to focus on peace with people, um, if at all possible, pursuing that. So Romans chapter 12, in verse 9, Romans 12, and this is an important passage, and I know you know this, but he says, Romans 12, 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, preserving in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. Now that contributing to the needs of the saints is also within a quiet life context. It's not like, hey, look what I'm doing. Have you heard? I've been feeding all these families. Have you heard? We've been inviting people over to our homes. No, no. this is within the respect and regards of being completely okay with being unnoticed. All of this. Again, verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Notice he doesn't say, I mean, this is a command. We are to do these things. But again, it's not to ding our bells. This is in obedience to the scriptures. It should be natural. It should be normal. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's hard. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. That's also hard. Because oftentimes when people are rejoicing, sometimes we're weeping. Not because of their rejoicing, but because our sinful nature tells us, why can't it be like that for us? And so sometimes it's hard to rejoice with others. But the Bible says, Paul says, God says through Paul, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Sometimes when people are weeping, we're thinking, grow up. Things are so much better if you just open your eyes. But the Bible says to meet them where they are, weep with them, show them. God is good. God is sovereign. We need that when we are weeping. So again, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. 16, be of the same mind toward one another. That's also hard. Do not be haughty, haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. We're not better than anybody else. We need to remember at the foot of the cross, it's a level ground. So that's important to remember. Be the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. That's tough. All this is not easy. Because 
if you're like me, I can read a book and be like, oh, I'm so pumped up. I'm not really thinking this, but I'm so pumped up because I finally got it. And I don't realize I'm going to lose it tomorrow, but I've got it. I've got it, right? And it's like I'm in that context. And anybody in that moment that's not living in that context and that doesn't get it is just stupid, ignorant. What's wrong with these people? And then I back up and remember I'm a sinful person. I am haughty in my mind and my thinking. I don't like to associate with the lowly. I get angry and irritated with those who aren't studying, those who aren't gleaning from the scriptures. I need to associate with them. I need to encourage them just as I need encouragement and will so tomorrow if I am out of the scriptures. Verse 17, this is hard too. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone, not even when you think it's right. He says, respect what is right in the sight of all men. Respect what is right. Now, look at verse 18. I heard Brother Glenn preach a message on this a couple years ago. I had notes galore on this that he had given. But he says, if possible, as so far as it depends on you, that means the burden falls to us as believers, if possible, be at peace with all men. Be at peace. I was talking to Scott Lee last night. and He wouldn't mind me sharing this, but he's building a house, and I'm about to be doing that. So we're kind of like, I'm at the beginning stages. He's towards the end. But he's had uh, some buddies do some work for him. And in that process, there's been a buddy and he that's kind of gotten cross with each other. Um, so his advice to me was, don't use buddies to help build a house. Um, and he joked. He said, no, I've had some really good experiences. But there was this one where they're just, they've been friends for, for a long time. And they've gotten a little cross with each other. And according to Scott, I don't know his buddy, but according to Scott, I believe Scott was right in, in how he approached and handled the situation. But in so doing... He was cussed out and even told that the friendship would probably be over. And Scott's like, okay, this is blow. This is like junior high immaturity here. Like we're both men. Let's talk. Let's, let's talk it out. Well, Scott said for a few days, he was a little like just irritated, waiting for that guy to call and apologize. Well, it never happened. So Scott, just like this, because a believer has the Holy Spirit within them. If it possible, as far as it depends upon you, not the other person, be at peace. And so he's sitting here driving one day. He's like, I need to make peace. Even though I feel like he's wrong, I need to make peace because it's, a, it's, it's on me. And so he called up the brother. He said, look, I, we need to be able to talk to each other, frankly. That's what friends do. But I, sh- I shouldn't have handled it that way, and I'm really sorry. And uh, I don't want to lose your friendship. And that's all it took. I mean, the guy was like, oh, I'm so glad you called. I was wrong, too. I mean, it just like broke the ice. Sometimes we're so bullheaded, we don't want to do that. But Paul says, if possible, the burden falls on you, be at peace with all men. Look at verse 19. He says, never take out your own revenge. Beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So we've got to be at peace. Look at chapter 14 of Romans. Romans 14, verse 19. With the same thought, Paul writes, so then, 14, 19, Pursue. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That's an active pursuit. We actively pursue what? The things. What is that? I don't know. Whatever it is that's going to make for peace. 
Whatever it is that's going to make for building up one another, not tearing each other down. And the only thing, I mean, I was thinking through this, and, and um, you know, we have to overcome me. I have to overcome me and pursue selflessness over selfishness. And so less is best. Ish is never best, okay? So uh, less is better than ish. So think of that, selflessness, not selfishness. We gotta diminish the ish and become less. And that's what it takes. That's what it takes to actively pursue the things which make for peace. Because I want it all to be my way. So I've got to have less of me. I've got to overcome me. I've got to overcome me. And so, again, quiet life. Living the godly uh, ambition of a quiet life. To be unknown. To be okay with being unnoticed. To be okay with just being in the Lord's will. Being obedient to whatever He's given us. And then, back in 2 Thessalonians, in verse 12, in chapter 3, he says, Mind your own business. Again, and, and then in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, mind your own business. This is something that I have to remind myself to stay in my lane, but yet be obedient. Be obedient. And as a minister, unfortunately, your lanes all kind of like come towards me. All right? So there's a little bit of a the shepherding aspect here to where sometimes as a minister or as a brother and sister, sometimes those lanes intersect and you have to be okay with admonishment. But it goes both ways, right? So we're, we're always seeking peace as, as much as we can. We're seeking peace. It, it, the burden lies on you. It doesn't lie on the other one. Even if you think the other one should be better. It could be a minister. Well, Brother Glenn, he hurt my feelings. Go to him. Just because he's supposed to be the shepherd doesn't mean that the burden is on him. The burden is on you as a believer to go. He may not see that. And, uh, and I, I know that sometimes I can be a little grumpy. Um, sometimes I can be a little distracted with folks. And I've had people come to me along the way saying, you know, it kind of hurt my feelings that one time when, and immediately my, my wall goes up because I want to be, what, defensive. Well, if they only knew that I was so busy and I had this one, and this one. No, but that's not, I'm, I'm just really, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't do that. I, we have to be okay with that kind of communication. But that is not what Paul's saying in 2 Thessalonians 3, where he's saying, put a brother out, okay? Th this is a sinful lifestyle. And so the question was asked me at the end of the lesson last week, if, we, if I could kind of talk through a little bit of the, the unruly, the undisciplined um, life in regards to um, the lack, I mean, the, the disassociation. Um, and church discipline and kind of all that, that, how that encompasses. So I thought that was a good uh, thought there and I wanted to kind of take us there at the last part of this. So if you'll go back to 2 Thessalonians 3 and if, you may already be there. But um, in verse 13, he says, as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. We need to keep that in mind. Don't grow weary. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because we are you know, disassociating with certain ones that Paul is mentioning here doesn't mean that we are just not being charitable at all no that's not that's not at all don't take it out of context he is saying here um in the leading a quiet life and attending to your own business and working with your hands and behaving properly to outsiders in that thinking in the fellowship 
the ones who are there, the ones who are supposed to be living a godly life, obeying what Paul has already taught, that is the word of God, who are living um, contrary to the teachings. They are dissentious. They are becoming hindrance. Romans 16, 17 says, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. That's doctrinal foolishness. People who are living um, unrighteous uh, practices in their life. And so going through the church discipline model of Matthew chapter 18, hold your place and turn there. I know you know this because Brother Glenn mentions this quite a bit. But Matthew chapter 18 This is the disciplinary model for the church. And so this is where the unruly start. It's not just that, boom, so-and-so is being unruly, kick him out. No, it starts with church discipline. And so Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it it says, this is under the title, Discipline and Prayer, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Okay, so number one, it starts with a brother to a brother or a sister to a sister in private. Okay? Number one, if he listens to you, verse 15, you have won your brother. Amen to that. And that's happened along the way. I've had people come to me in private. And if I agree completely or not, the Holy Spirit is there and we're brothers. And I want to make this right. That's the natural, normal Christian response. If you win that brother or sister, you have won them. Great. Check one, done. Look at step two, verse 16. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Why is this? It's important at that point for it not just to be your word against theirs. Okay? Uh, and this has happened. Unfortunately, what, what often happens in a church context, and I've said this before, you have the shepherds. Now, we don't have a large staff here, so it's just four ministers on staff, but in the past, when we had upwards of 10, 12 ministers on staff, it was more noticeable then, where it was like, hey, brother so-and-so, so this person is living in sin. And that was like their step one, okay? So step one wasn't go to the brother in private. Step one was go to the minister and let him go to the brother in private. Well, that's not here, right? And so at that point, though, the minister's made aware, and so there needs to be follow-up. But that's not step number one. Step number one is if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Well, step number two, you can include a minister in that. Take a brother or two with you. I think it's important. It would probably be good to take a shepherd with you or or an elder, a a deacon, a respectable teacher in the church. Take somebody with you. Okay, look at step number three, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, take it to the church. Okay, now I've heard this taught different ways. Um, The church could literally be, and it is in some context, before the entire congregation. Sometimes it's before a group within the church. Um, And I've seen it done that way too. And I've heard MacArthur teach on this. Um, And there's different instances where that is maybe a better choice. But the Bible says before the church, you can't ever go wrong, even though it feels awkward, to go before the entire body of, of, of the church. Um, that's happened a few times since I've been here. And I remember it being extremely awkward um, when you have to do that. But the reason for it is not to open up a gossip chain. The reason for it is to win 
the brother or sister. That the whole point of this is that. Because back in verse number 15, if, you, if he listens to you, you have won your brother. That's the whole purpose. We're still trying to win them. So step number three isn't just to spank them before the whole congregation. Dad always says, if you do that again, I'm going to come in front of the classroom. I'm going to spank you in front of everybody. I never challenged him on that. I kind of wondered if he actually would, but I didn't actually want to challenge him because he probably would have. Um, this is to win a brother. And so verse 17 again, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That is, let that unruly, undisciplined person be disassociated. He's out. So it's not that you come to church one day and you just heard that brother so-and-so has uh, possibly cheated on his wife. There's some talk. He's been hanging out with an individual. You don't go to that brother with another one and say, you're out of here, boy, and you just kick him out the door. That's not what Paul's talking about. There is a chain that goes through here. Does that make sense? And so you're not just disassociating with any person that you've heard could be getting into sin. No, there is a process. And sometimes the process is quick, and it needs to be. Um, but sometimes it is slow, and it depends on what, the, what they're dealing with. Um, I've been in part of church discipline here that I'm glad many of them haven't made it to step three, but have oftentimes made it to step two, and maybe a follow-up of step two. Um, and, and some of those have turned out well. Unfortunately, in the church, we don't get the ability to disassociate or to walk down step three with them because at that point they've already left the church. They won't even come to the office or they won't allow you to come to their home. They won't answer your phone calls. Um, and then all of a sudden you get a letter from another church and they didn't even call asking about this individual and then they want to be joining up somewhere else. That's unfortunate. And that happened, that happened during this time too. Um, but it was probably a little bit easier because it wasn't churches on every corner. We must practice church discipline. And it's not just the ministers. Go ahead. It has. It's rare today. Because some churches don't even do membership anymore. Um, and so we do get, we get some people from other churches that when we talk about membership, they're like, what? We need to join, you know. So membership is kind of rare. Now, in the Southern Baptist life, a lot of times we will. And we've received phone calls from pastors, from folks that have uh, maybe started to visit our church. And we've received, and the pastor has gotten wind of that and has called us just to give us a little bit of heads up. Hey, uh, actually, they're into church discipline right now, but they're running. And it sounds like they ran to your church. And so then it's our responsibility at that point to encourage them to go be a part of the discipline but we are a part of that process as well in a kind of external realm um yeah and those people never stay <laughs> if they're running there they're running here so but yeah no that's that's happened mm -hmm. so paul here I, does that, I don't know if that helps clear that up a little bit but paul when he's talking about if anyone verse 14 back in second thessalonians chapter 3 verse 14 if anyone does not obey your our instruction in this letter take special note of that person and do not associate with him that's under the guides of church discipline so that he will be put to shame um a believer will respond to church discipline 
because the Holy Spirit lives within them. They may get angry at first, but a believer will respond positively. Most of the time, if there's a response negatively, they still could be a believer, but they will not be able to live that way long. And the whole reason that we're putting them out or disassociating with them is not to treat them, as Paul said, as an enemy, but as a brother. It's to win them as a lost person. But they can't be one as a lost person if we've included them in the fold and we turn a blind eye to sin. And so I was explaining this passage to uh, Preston last night. He's, he saw me typing this up. And, and so I, I just read him, Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 20. And I explained to him that just like in the home, if mommy and daddy were to allow you boys to sin, and we just said, yeah, I don't like controversy. You know, I just want them to be happy. And we just let it go and slide then there's no godly teaching or instruction. And so they don't know that they're wrong. And how can they be one to Christ? How can they understand that they are sinners in need of a Savior if mom and dad aren't going to point it out to them? I had to spank a couple kids yesterday. Yeah, and um, Graham rode his hoverboard into the pool yesterday. That's not why he got a spanking. It is, but it wasn't because he rode it into the pool at that moment. It was because the day before I said, don't ride your hoverboard around the pool. Then I get, I'm watching a little bit of the Alabama game, and I hear, Graham's hoverboard's in the pool. He's getting a spanking because he disobeyed. It's unfortunate that his hoverboard is in the pool because now he doesn't have a hoverboard. By the way, they said you probably shouldn't even charge that thing because it could catch on fire now the battery's been wet. I was like, dry it out, and we'll try to plug it in. <laughs> Uh, anyways, so don't tell Timmy, by the way, Johnny, because he gave that to, John, to Graham. Um, not yet. We'll break it to him later. I pulled Graham in, and Chandler got a spanking, too, because he was out there and didn't say anything. Graham, Dad, said not ride around the pool. But I did. it was a good t- opportunity for me to discipline, not only in physical, but in spiritual discipline. I mean, we talked. We talked through that. That's what we've got to do. It's just staying, facing problems as they come, being okay with being just normal, ordinary folks, but obedient. Not just turning a blind eye. I don't like controversy. I don't see this. I don't see that. You know, no, we need to be able to have awkward conversations. We need to pursue church discipline. It may hurt in the moment, but it's for their good. It's for their good. And so Paul is saying, we must do this. And in verse 15, he says, don't regard him as an enemy. No, this is as a brother. Admonish him as a brother. Don't hate your fellow countrymen, Leviticus 19.17. Treat him as your own heart. Reprove your neighbor so that sin will not incur in him. It's all for their good. It's, it's because the ultimate destruction of sin, apart from the grace of God and salvation, is hell and damnation. We must point that out with our brothers and sisters. They may not be a child of God, so they need to know. Does that make sense? So Paul kind of walks us through that. And there's so much here that we can unpack, but next week we're going to kind of just give a summary and then we're going we're gonna to end uh, Second Thessalonians. So I hope this has uh, been an encouragement to you. Um, the bottom line is obey. Obey the instruction of the Lord and um, admonish one another in the Lord in brotherly love. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. We thank you for this time where we can study your word. Church discipline, it, it really pains us. But God, we know that in not doing it, we're being disobedient and we are not following your ordinances. And God, we are guilty. 
we are guilty and living an unruly life because the rules are the rules. And there's a reason for it. It's to bring people into right fellowship with God. Maybe for people to even come to the saving knowledge of Jesus for the first time. So God, as we admonish lovingly our children, may we also do that with our brothers and sisters as they do to us as well. May church not just be a social club where we come together and do the churchy things, but may it really be a self-help group, a meeting house where we come together and we don't have heirs. We know that we're all rotten, dirty, wretched. And the only thing that allows us to have our heads held high is that God has saved us. He is holding us and keeping us and it is only by the grace of God. Undeserved, but by the grace of God that we stand, that we have our being. And we know that Christ holds us and all things together. So help us to see it that way, to lovingly encourage one another because the sins, lust and struggles and temptations are so strong. So as we fight this together, as we battle on together, help us to love one another, encourage one another, and win the lost. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. Be with us as we worship together in the next hour. Our pastor, as he preaches, hide him behind the cross. May we respond in like manner. In Jesus' name, amen. We are glad you joined us today. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's podcast, send us a message on Facebook. Email us at info at eastmemorial.org or call our church office at 334-365-7500. Thanks for listening.